This morning from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, as we hear about the early disciples, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of life. Thanks be to Once upon a time, there was a mouse living in a house. He looked through the crack in the wall where he could watch the farmer and his wife. He was very excited on this particular day because they had received a package and the mouse was wondering what yummy food might be included in the package that I could eat. His heart began to race as he thought about all the wonderful things that might be in the package. But then it all but stopped. When he saw them unwrap a mouse trap, <laughs> he left the house as quickly as possible, ran into the barnyard screaming, There is a mouse trap in the house! There's a mouse trap in the house! He ran up to the chicken who was out there eating and screamed, There's a mouse trap in the house! The chicken said, That's no concern of mine. I don't ever go into the house. He ran over to the pig who was busy eating and screamed, There's a mousetrap in the house! There's a mousetrap in the house! The pig said, I'm oh so very sorry. I will pray for you. <laughs> the mousetrap ran over to the cow, the largest of the animals in the barnyard, and screamed with all of his might, There's a mousetrap in the house! I'm telling you, there's a mousetrap in the house! The cow said, I hear you. I can tell you're very agitated and distressed, but that's really no skin off my nose. The mouse headed back to the house, sad and dejected, head down, wondering how he would deal with this all alone. He thought in the next days peril would come. He was going to have to be so careful. But it did not take that long. That night, in the middle of the night, there was a snap. It sounded a lot like a mousetrap. It woke up the mouse. It also woke up the farmer's wife. She went running down the stairs to see if they'd caught that mouse that lived in their house. But instead, it had caught a venomous snake by the tail. And in the darkness, as she got closer... The snake bit the farmer's wife. She screamed. The farmer ran downstairs, found what had happened, took his wife to the hospital. They treated her and sent her back home. But she had a fever, a persistent fever. And everybody in that part of the country knows the best way to treat a fever is with fresh chicken soup. The farmer got his hatchet went back to the barnyard to find the main ingredient for the soup. But unfortunately, the soup did not cure her. She continued to persist. 
with the fever, the word spread and neighbors began to come to sit with her around the clock. So many people were coming. The farmer had to butcher the pig to feed all the people. Yet she did not recover. She continued to decline until unfortunately she died. And the word went out and began to come back to the farmer that all in the county were coming. She was so well known and so beloved and so young at her death that everyone was coming. So the farmer had the cow slaughtered to feed all the people. The mouse, now really all alone, felt even sadder. This parable reminds us of the importance of the Christian community, of the Christian family gathering together to go through this life journey, supporting and encouraging one another and helping each other in times of need. The early disciples would certainly have understood the alarm of the mouse and the importance of understanding that we're all in this together. You can hear it in the text this morning. In verse 42, saying that these early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then it said amazing things were happening with their life together following these apostles. In verse 44 then, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would even sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They were so devoted to God and to one another. They're committed to each other. It goes on in 46, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at a home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. These first disciples were devoted to one another. They were committed to one another, to worshiping together, to praying together, to supporting each other, to rally around one another in times of need. In short, they ordered their lives so that they might have time to support and encourage one another and to stay connected to God. In our fast-paced world, it's so easy to lose focus, so easy to become distracted and allow our focus on faith, our devotion to God, our commitment to one another to fade away, to be forgotten. That's why our Sunday school classes and other small groups in which we meet are so important because they bring us together in smaller gatherings where we can pray and talk and discuss where we can share our joy, but also our concerns, where we can support any and all who might come to participate. You might remember a few years ago, Brad Henry was the governor of this great state of Oklahoma. You may not remember his wife's name was Kim, Kim Henry. She's now the executive director of the Sarkis Foundation that works to improve the quality of life for all Oklahomans. But as I was reading this passage, I was remembering a story I read about the Henrys while they were in the governor's office. 
It talked about how hectic their schedule was, how so often the governor had a full slate of meetings and occasions where he would have to go. And even the first lady had her own schedule of places she would have to be to attend this, to cut a ribbon here, to speak to this group or that. At that point, they were raising daughters in the home. And Kim Henry talked about in the article how she became concerned that this schedule, these demands, these commitments were drawing them apart. And it's easy for any of us to see how that can happen, how other commitments can divide a family or tear us apart. She was talking about the struggle of that. And then she said one phrase that struck me. I put it in your outline. She talked about how she was struggling with balancing her life, and then she said that she'd concluded this, you don't balance life, you tip the scales in favor of God. Isn't that beautiful? You don't balance life, you tip the scales in favor of God. She went on to talk about setting priorities for herself and for her household, she talked about how she tried to make sure she reserved time every day for her own personal devotions, how she attempted to attend two Bible studies every week. She said, my spiritual life is my grounding, is my foundation. It's what keeps me focused. It's what keeps me going. It sustains me. Our passage is saying that very same thing. That the spiritual practice of the early Christians pulled them together and sustained them. But this author says it does even more than that. It says when you have those priorities clear, that all of a sudden your life begins to build into a life of praise and gladness and generosity. You can hear it in verse 46 and the first part of 47. Day by day. As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home, or some translations say they broke bread going house to house and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. See, these practices are not just so you can be religious or that you can feel righteous or pious. This passage says for those early disciples, it led them to the experience of praising God and being generous and glad about it. It's describing fruits of the Christian life or fruits of the spirit of what happens when we are committed and devoted to following Jesus Christ. When we practice what we're taught in Scripture in terms of what it means to be a person of faith. And what that means in terms of our own ordering of our lives. This says when you get that right, you begin to experience the life that God intends. Or to use Kim Henry's language, you begin to tip the scales toward God. The book of Acts is then full of stories of good things happening from these apostles and these early disciples devoting themselves to the Lord and these practices together. They were focused on Christ. But that is the challenge, isn't it? Protecting that Christian focus, that Christian center. We each proclaim that we want Christ to be at the heart of our living 
to be our highest priority, to be at the core of who we are. And yet so often we let other things pull us and distract us and restrain us from giving our all to God through Jesus Christ. I read a story not long ago about a nurse who was working for a doctor. She was the one who scheduled all the appointments. She was trying to schedule this woman for a surgery she needed to have. She kept calling her, and every week the woman would say, I can't do it now, I can't do it now. Finally, she said to her, I don't understand You know you really need this surgery, but you can't seem to find a time to do it. And the woman said, well, maybe you don't understand, but I don't want to miss any of my bingo games. (laughs) Now, this wasn't cosmetic surgery. This was for her health. This is something that needed to happen. But I think she has her priorities a little off kilter. I think she's a little confused about what's most important. But it's not just her. So many of us have that experience of life getting out of balance, of priorities getting sideways. I experienced that. It's so easy. There's so many options in life, so many fun things to do, so many places to serve that it's easy to overcommit, to overextend, to try to do more than we really have time for. And then sometimes those most important things in life get squeezed out and we can lose ourselves or lose a relationship or even lose our own identity church roles are full of people who used to be committed to christ and in worship and bible study and meetings every week that no longer attend We never see them. It's not just our church. It happens at all churches where people lose their way. They lose their focus. Or maybe we lost them. Maybe we failed them. It's not uncommon for a person to miss a week or two or three and nobody call and nobody notice. And then that person begins to feel spiritually or emotionally wounded and begins to think nobody cares and they miss another two or three weeks and then they drop out altogether. it's a sad commentary on what sometimes happen in a church as big as ours but it even happens in smaller churches as well when we don't tend and care for one another but i heard something that's just the opposite of that the other day from one of our sunday school teachers he was talking to his church family about spirituality he said this the foundation of all spirituality is love god's love growth in spirituality is the story of humans attempting to love as god loves This loving each other in church is a key part of spirituality, he said. This is what we do in our class. When we are sick or injured or grieving or in difficulty, we pray. We bring food. We send cards and flowers. We visit. We make phone calls. We encourage. And we make sure others know that they are not alone. It's not earth-shaking. Or maybe it is. This text suggests that it is earth-shaking and 
earth-transforming, when we allow our lives to be centered on Christ and all that can mean for our own life and for the life of others. How do we care for each other? How do we learn and encourage one another to grow in faith? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we rally around people in their times of need? How do we tip the scales toward God, if you will? What's your role in that? What do you think your place is in this Christian community? This text says that all of them were together and all of them shared these responsibilities for loving and caring and sharing and studying and worshiping and praying and eating. And that made a difference in the life of the individual and the community. And of course, the rest of this book is going to go on and tell us how it rippled out across the Mediterranean world and finally around the world, making differences, bringing joy and hope and help and God's love into other people's lives. This early description in this Acts of the Apostles shows us how, as it describes them focusing as a Christian community on the things that matter most, it says, on learning, fellowship, and worship. Learning, fellowship, and worship. It says these three, when held in proper priority, are the things that connect us to God and connect us to each other, which makes our spiritual lives vital. It tips the scales toward God, if you will. I read a story about a politician in the midst of a campaign. He was going to all these different places, you know, trying to drum up votes. One day he was gone to the nursing home, lots of people, captive audience. He was working his way around the room, introducing himself, and he began to realize most of these people don't even know my name. But he noticed a woman in the back on the far side of the room, and she had locked in on him when he came into the room. Their eyes had met, and she was following him around the room, and he says, oh, she's the one who knows who I am. And so his spirits were bright, and his energy went up, and he went on around the room introducing himself to everyone, and finally he got to her and says, oh, ma'am, do you know my name? And she says, oh, dear, no. I'm sorry, sir, but if you'll go back across the room to that desk, I'm sure they can tell you who you are. <laughs> Do you know who you are? Are you protecting those things that are most important? Are your priorities in order? Have you stopped? Have you taken a pause to make sure you might need to hit the refresh button? You might need to reorder some things. You might need to make some decisions to stay focused on what's most important. At this time of the year in churches across America, attendance begins to decline because other things erupt. Lots of people taking vacations. I don't think they're all gone all summer. <laughs> but sometimes we don't see them because they went on vacation. We all need a break. We all need variety and refreshment, but this text also reminds us that as people of faith, we are to be devoted to one another and to the worship of God. This passage says 
that these earliest disciples were devoted to Christian learning and fellowship, prayer, and worship. The guidance here is to keep those at the top of your priority list, to remember that you are a child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and what that means, to remember those vows you first took, that commitment you first made, and how important it is to be faithful to each other and to God in all of this. But the promise is in all of this, if you will do that, if you will devote yourself to these things, that you'll experience the life God intends, this abundant life filled with praise and joy and gladness and generosity. May it be true for each and every one of us. Amen.